0: A woo a hand clapper, a high-fiver. I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by loss. See terms and conditions 18+.
2: DarkCast Network, where the light shines brightest on our
1: indie podcasts.
2: This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to Fruit Loops. Bienvenidos, bitches, and Buiti Binafi. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about serial killers of color and the victims. Uh, however, we are on a little break. And in the meantime, we wanted to share a true crime goodie with you from one of our pod pals on the Darkcast Network. But before we get into it, how you doing? I mean you. The listeners, the (laughs) Fruities, tell us, get at us. Uh, You know where to find us. In the meantime... What's this episode about today, Beth? Well, today we
2: have a special episode for you from one of our pod play cousins on the Darkcast Network, where the light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. In this episode, CJ from Beyond the Rainbow podcast tells the story of a 15-year-old boy named Jason Madison Jr., who was murdered in Baltimore in 2009.
1: Well, all right, here we go. Enjoy. Enjoy.
3: Hey, 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 Rainbow Warriors. This is my disclaimer. Beyond the Rainbow is a true crime podcast. It's not suitable for young children, and maybe not even for some adults. I tend to swear like a sailor, and I'm kind of proud of that. Listener discretion is advised.
2: stress. This podcast is
1: sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop serial killers of color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com fruit. That's betterhel dot fruit. on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play.
2: Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> there is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of
3: in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Hey there, Rainbow Warriors, and welcome to Beyond the Rainbow, True Crimes of the LGBT, I'm your host CJ. I probably won't be wishing you happy pride every episode I do this month, because for me, every month is full of rainbow pride. Holla! But I would like to thank some of the true crime podcast community who are doing LGBTQ episodes this month. I've been listening to a very detailed series my friends over at California True Crime Podcast are doing. The series is about trans woman Gwen Araujo. I touched upon Gwen's story along with Angie Zapata early on in my podcasting career, and so many times I do wish I could go back and do a better job on some of my episodes, but instead... I decided to forge on because there's so many other stories in our community that need to be told. So check out California True Crime's deep dive on Gwen's case. I promise you, Rainbow Warriors, you won't be disappointed. I've been asked how a listener can help support the show, and I'm so glad you asked. I have a merch store on TeePublic under Rainbow Crimes a portion of any purchase comes back to the podcast. I also have a Buy Me a Coffee account. There's a link to both of those on my website, beyondtherainbowpodcast.com. And if that's not something that you're able to do right now, I totally get it. Another great way to support any podcast is to give them a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast at. And finally, my last suggestion for support. Please tell a friend. The more listens we get, the more visibility we have. When you go to my website, you'll also see a list of missing but not forgotten LGBTQ people. This episode's missing person is John James Morris Jr. John was born to parents Madeline and John Sr. He grew up a happy and smiling boy, but he had a tendency to not be able to focus in school. This led to a diagnosis of ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. It's a diagnosis that would follow him into his adult years. John's an artist, and oil paintings are his forte. He also is a very handy guy with his hands. He can fix almost anything. John was 37 years old when he disappeared under kind of suspicious circumstances. This happened on July thirtieth, two 2007, and it would make him 51 years old should he be found alive today. John is 6 feet tall, 175 pounds. He has brownish-graying hair, and it really could be all silver or all gray by now. He has brown eyes. He also has a pierced left ear and a couple of tattoos. On his left shoulder, he has a tattoo of a scorpion which makes sense because John's astrological sign is a Scorpio. There's also kind of conflicting reports on another tattoo he has on his right forearm. It could either be a snake, a dragon, or a panther, because all three of those look just alike. John had broken his nose when he was the age of 15. He had it cosmetically reconstructed. So, as I was saying, John was last seen on July 30th, 2007. It was about 11 p.m. at night. He was standing in the driveway of a home he shared with his ex-boyfriend of 14 years. The residence was at the 24,000 block of White's Ferry Road in Dickerson, Maryland. John's ex-boyfriend wasn't living there at the time. He was staying in a condo in Washington, D.C., The day John disappeared, he was speaking to his mom on the phone. His mom said he sounded angry and kind of distressed during their conversation. He had also told her that he was waiting for someone to come pick him up. John's neighbor spotted him on his driveway around 11 p.m. It appeared he was waiting for a ride. John hasn't been seen since. John would speak to his parents at least once, if not more times a week they reported him missing three weeks later when John uncharacteristically missed several of their weekly phone calls. His mom would have reported him sooner, but family members kept telling her to just wait it out. John would show up. But John never did. John's personal items, his truck, and his beloved dog were all left behind. The cell phone he had and his credit cards have not been used since his disappearance. Should anyone have information on the disappearance of John Morris Jr. or about the person who picked him up that night in his driveway, please contact the Q Center for Missing Persons at area code 910-343-1131. You know, warriors, I'm constantly saddened by the amount of killings there are in this world. And I have to say, the murder of children is an especially hard pill to swallow. There are far too many teenage LGBTQ plus members that have been taken from us. These kids should be having a whole life ahead of them. But then there's some fucking asshole that comes along, decides they're going to play torturer and executioner, and they remove the child from this world. In essence... This is what happened in November 2009. But the asshole murderer, who was once in prison, was released early. He was convicted of murder before in 1999, but many believed he was innocent. Dante Parrish Jr. had been convicted of murdering a drug dealer. He was granted a new trial with the help of the Innocence Project of Maryland. The Innocence Project found that Dante, who had already pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, he was convicted on a faulty statement of facts, and Dante was given another trial. This time, Dante copped an Alford plea, which basically means he's not saying he did it and he's not saying he didn't do it. Subsequently, a judge overturned Dante's sentence. The judge said it was because of ineffective defense counsel, and Dante was released after 10 years served on a 30 year sentence. The Maryland Office of the Innocence Project helped to release this convicted murderer 20 years before his time was up. Dante walked free in January of 2009. By November 2009, 15 year old Jason Madison Jr. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the
1: Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com.
3: Welcome to the
1: family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
3: Hello, this is Dr.
2: Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy,
0: Bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience.
3: Imagine, if you will, a tall, handsome, black teenage boy with a gorgeous smile and a bubbly personality. This was Jason. He was openly gay at high school, and he was very, very proud to live his truth. Jason wasn't really bullied too much at school about his sexual orientation, much like the abundance of other stories we hear about of boys who have an effeminate side. At the age of 15, Jason was an exemplary student. He always had his work in on time. And the only discipline he ever really received at school was for his incessant talking. He was always the first one to show up in his classroom, as well as always being the first one to the cafeteria at lunchtime. Jason was a free spirit with the gift of gab. He'd speak his mind and he'd excitedly give over-the-top commentary on very mundane topics. The other kids would hurry to get a seat and sometimes fight over getting a seat at Jason's lunch table. Jason was that entertaining. He also seemed to have a very high self-esteem. He was well-loved by many of his fellow students and teachers, Oh, occasionally there'd be another male student that might make fun of Jason because of his effeminate mannerisms or because of his tight jeans and flamboyant sweaters. But Jason never really let it bother him, and he always had a witty comeback to retaliate with, and then he'd walk away with a big smile on his face. The charismatic high school sophomore, well... I guess just to say he had more friends than enemies would be the truth. His peers and his teacher were very much like a family to Jason. Although as much as Jason liked to talk, he never seemed to bring up his home life and what it was like. And nobody ever asked him about it either. It never really came up. I believe the teachers in his life, Made the assumption that his home life must be pretty good because he was such a good kid. Jason also had some really big dreams, but they were obtainable dreams. He just needed to keep up his good grades and his good behavior. Jason really wanted to be a pediatrician someday. Get ready for your starring role in a
1: thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance.
2: That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries.
1: Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test. Sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire.
2: It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force.
1: Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for
2: a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us.
3: Find your inner detective. Download Juden's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. It was rumored that Jason had been kicked out of the home he shared with his mother and grandmother because he was gay. His grandmother was one of the first people he came out to. And she loved him and said she understood, but she didn't really understand at all. She told Jason he was young and he didn't understand life yet. She told him that there were plenty of young women out there that would love to be with him. He just needed to give it time. Jason told her he liked boys. His grandmother said Jason left the house to move in with family members in another house. She also said that Jason's mother would not accept his sexuality. The other house Jason supposedly moved into with family would become Jason's house of horrors. The family member's house consisted of Jason's aunts, uncles, cousins, and strangers. Although the family at this house said that Jason was just visiting, not really living there. This confuses me and it sure as hell infuriates me as well. What the fuck was going on? Why wasn't someone in Jason's family being accountable for a 15 year old boy? He was still a child, but no one was looking out for him. The family house that was owned by Jason's great aunt is said to be a home of high traffic, many drugs and users in and out on a rotating basis. Out of curiosity, I did some looking into these two story homes. They're tiny three-bedroom, one-bathroom, and under 500 square feet. How all of these people can cram into one little place like this is beyond me. And although grown-ass people live there, to say any adult supervision in this house was lacking, that's just an understatement. The adults who lived here were usually high on drugs or in some kind of drunken alcoholic stupor. Am I being judgy? you damn right I am. The house is located in a place where most of the homes are empty and boarded up. It's the hood, the barrio, the slums. Ex-convict Dante Parrish Jr. was one of these revolving people into the family house. He was considered a longtime family friend, so his presence was welcomed, despite his criminal record. In fact, Dante was even allowed by the great-aunt to move into the house. The family claimed they didn't know Dante had a criminal record. The man has been out of your life for over a decade. Don't you want to know where he's been? To further out myself as a crime judgy, Jason's great-aunt, she ain't so great. It was at this family house on Llewellyn Avenue that Jason met 35-year-old Dante Parrish. I imagine if both Jason and Dante were living in the same house, there had to be some kind of interaction between the two. I mean, how do you physically get into somebody's space like that without even a casual, hey, how's it going? Right? Right? Hell, since there were only three bedrooms and all those people, Dante and Jason might have even had to share a room. By the time the night of November 10th, 2009 rolled around, Dante had now been out of prison and walking around free for 11 months. That night, there were people home. Jason's not-so-great-great-Anne and her brother were there. Jason was there. Dante was there there's a claim that a 13-year-old girl who possibly was a cousin to Jason was also in the house. She heard Jason scream, but she was the only one that was cognitive enough to hear Jason scream. The great-aunt and her brother, they were passed out due to a session of heroin use. After hearing Jason scream, the 13-year-old girl went to rouse the great-aunt. She was in her heroin haze, but she stumbled upstairs to a room. It was possibly Dante's room, or maybe Jason's room, or maybe a room they shared. But the room she went to was upstairs and in the back of the house. She opened the door to the room, and she saw Dante and Jason. Dante was behind Jason, and Jason was in tears with his pants down around his knees. Jason was bent over the bed. Dante yelled at the great aunt to get the fuck out of the room. She closed the door and somehow made it to another bedroom where she passed out again, and she apparently wasn't aware of what she had just seen. There were other people in the house earlier in the evening Jason's uncle, another one of Jason's female cousins, and some other woman but they had all left for a party located in another part of Baltimore. The trio didn't arrive home that night till around 3 a.m. When they walked in, all of the lights in the house were out. There was one lone candle that burned downstairs. Thinking it was weird, but not too alarmed, they tried flipping on light switches, but there was no electricity in the home. At that time, the trio noticed their television and a few other possessions had been stolen. The cousin immediately got on the phone with the Baltimore police to file a theft report. And while she was on the phone, the uncle went down to the basement to check the circuit breakers. Someone had turned off all the power to the house. After turning the breaker switches back on, the uncle went back upstairs. He noticed a ceiling light in the very back bedroom was not working. So he stood on the bed and played around with the bulb. It seemed that the bulb was loose and he tightened it. The light came on. He didn't really take a minute to look around the room. In all honesty, he was probably still very inebriated from the party he had just come home from. He turned off the light switch and he walked down the hallway to his room. He plopped down in bed and swiftly went to sleep. Almost two hours later, the uncle awoke to screams. Jason's great-aunt, who woke up from her heroin high, and the other women that were in the house were screaming about blood. The uncle got up to see what the commotion was about. He saw the blood trail and he followed it. He followed it back upstairs to that back bedroom where he had just fixed the light a couple hours ago. The trail led to the bed and then it stopped. The uncle thought that was weird, so he flipped the mattress over. And when he did, he saw a mass of blood on it. There were also bloody sheets piled on a canister. On top of the sheets lay a bloody box cutter. The great-aunt picked up the box cutter, and the uncle swatted it out of her hand. He told her, "'Go call the police.' The cousin who had made the first call about the stolen property is the one who called the police back again. She told him about the blood, lots and lots of blood, and she told him about her cousin Jason, who seemed to be missing. The police again arrived at the Llewellyn Avenue house a little after 5:30 a.m. This time, they were going to investigate the blood trail and the blood mass on the mattress in the back bedroom. While the police were in that room, they opened up the closet. It was dark, but they could see what looked like a body. It was a bloody Jason curled up into a fetal position under a pile of blankets. The 15-year-old boy had a pillowcase stuffed into his mouth. He'd been sodomized, and he'd been stabbed multiple times with his throat slit. At first, the family thought whoever broke in and stole the television must have killed Jason in the process. Then the pieces started to fit together when Dante didn't show up at the house anymore. The family then believed the television was just a diversion for the much more heinous act of killing Jason. The family told the police about Dante Parrish missing from their home. Dante was picked up several days later at a 7-Eleven store in Baltimore. He was questioned and initially he admitted to taking the items from the home and to killing Jason. He was arrested without bail and months later the trial began. At the trial, even though he pleaded guilty at the police station, Dante pleaded not guilty It took Jury less than three hours to deliberate and convict him on first-degree murder. Dante has a long list of criminal infractions. In 1992, he was convicted of theft and drug possession. In 1993, he was guilty of making false statements. In 1997, he was arrested for malicious destruction of property And then there's the murder conviction in 1999. Baltimore was a little bit safer while he spent the 10 years in prison before his early release in 2009. And then less than a year later, this fuckwad was back at it, and he took the life of Jason Madison Jr. Had the Innocence Project of Maryland not assisted him in being released, Jason might be a successful pediatrician by now. I really don't want to fault the Innocence Project of Maryland on this because, you know, I feel they do some really wonderful work. I know that they have helped people, people who have been falsely convicted, people that don't deserve the prison time. Then again, they're human, and sometimes they make errors too. But I do want to say this particular Innocence Project group at the time in Maryland, they were interviewed after Jason's murder. And when they were asked if they regretted getting Dante released that first time, they said no, they'd do it again. And this kind of pissed me off. They said their job is to right wrongs. Yeah, okay, I agree with that. But when someone confesses to a crime and they're not under duress to do so, It's not a false confession, and they have multiple criminal offenses? Let them serve their time for their damn crime. Don't go looking for loopholes to set them free. He admitted he killed that man in 1999. Dante was released on a technicality, and obviously the 10 years in prison he did serve, he wasn't reformed at all. After the jury found Dante guilty of the first-degree murder of Jason, the judge was ready for Dante's sentencing. The judge opened with an old Scottish prayer.
0: He said, From ghoulies and ghosties and long-legged beasties and things that go bump in the night, good Lord, deliver us.
3: The judge then went on to say in his own words,
0: To me... You're every bit as frightening and more because you are real.
3: And then the judge sentenced Dante to life in prison without parole for first degree murder of Jason. And then he tacked on another life term for the rape of Jason. Jason's funeral was held eight days after his murder, it was held at the West Baltimore Church. And so many people came and they showed up to give their love and support to Jason and to his family, the same family who couldn't be bothered to keep Jason safe. The priest of the church, he told the mourners that Jason's death should serve as a warning to the downtrodden neighborhood where it all happened and to watch the children closely. Very saddened by Jason's murder, was his English teacher, Ryan C. Jones. Ryan wrote an email to all of Jason's teachers, and it was even published in the New York Daily News. I'm going to go ahead and read it in its entirety, because Ryan really touches upon something we hardly ever see with any murder victims. He tells about the victim himself and what kind of person he felt the victim was.
1: Come play with us.
3: Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomena slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio
2: Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable.
1: OhioMysteries.com
3: Hi, friends and family. I'm writing this in hope that you can help me with a large favor. As some of you know, I lost somebody very close to me this week. A student of mine was taken from us in a very violent manner. His name was Jason Madison, and he was a 15-year-old student whom I've had the privilege to teach through his 9th and 10th grade years since he arrived on our campus during the summer of 2008. There's been extensive news coverage of Jason's death over the past few days. He was brutally attacked, abused, fatally injured, and left for dead. His attacker, a 35-year-old previously convicted murderer, has been arrested, and he'll meet his doom one way or another. However, I'm writing because not enough positive things have been shown about Jason. As is often the case, the majority of news has revolved around the graphic nature of his death and the circumstances relating to his attacker. Too often we hear news that a young black male from Baltimore City was killed, and we think nothing of it. Jason was not just another statistic. He was a lively, unique individual who brought smiles to countless faces of people every day. Jason was an above-average student who excelled in many areas of academics and social life. He dreamed of finishing his career here and moving on to college, medical school, and then to own his own pediatric office. God, how the kids would have loved his big smile and booming voice. You need to simply look at his exotic dress, his flair for the dramatic in class and with friends, and talk to those who knew him to understand what a loss we've all been dealt. Jason was in no way involved with gangs, drugs, or weapons. He spent his time after school doing homework in teachers' classrooms and hanging out with friends. His nightly routine of chatting on MySpace is the same one any of our kids would have. But for as typical as Jason seemed, he was so unique. He hated normal. He was different because he could be. He wore his skinny jeans and fashionable sweaters and blazers because it made him stand out. I've included a few pictures of Jason as a way to expose what a great child he was and to allow those who didn't know him to see more than the news coverage allows. In my eyes, this tragedy is focused so much on the negative and what is truly being lost is what a great child we had the pleasure of being around. It hurts me to watch the news and to see a murderer's face and story being told and not that of Jason's. Please do me a favor and honor, Jason. I'm asking that you simply forward this email and pictures to everyone you know. I want Jason's story to be told and I want everyone to see that we have lost an innocent child. And maybe more importantly, I want everyone to see how beautifully wonderful this child was. Ryan C. Jones, English 2 instructor. That was a touching tribute from his teacher. Rest in power, Jason. Love you, Rainbow Warriors. Stay safe and remember it's not a crime to be gay unless you're a murderer.
1: We hope you enjoyed that. Uh, check out the show notes for details on where to find out more about today's feature and also about the Dark Cast Network. In the meantime, where can the people find us, Beth?
2: Our website is FruitLoopsPod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website.
1: Oh, yes. And our phone number is 602 935 <laughs> This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.